0: A chance to feel like heroes too. Forever will win, and if we sure to lose, we not someday we'll go out the way. Yeah. someday we'll
1: go out away. Welcome to Holy Cowway Cubs Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Holland, and we finally made it to the start of the regular season. So I thought I'd do a little season preview podcast. I have two guests: uh Randall J. Sanders. And Mike Banghart, better known as Dabinsky, I've had both these guys on my podcast before, so uh, I'll just give a little rundown of each of them. Uh, Randall, of course, at Randall J. Sanders on Twitter. He does these great audio clips, and he uh, works with the guys at Crowley's Cubs Kingdom, who put out a lot of great T-shirts that you should check out. Um, of course, Mike Banghart, known as dabinsky D A B. Y-N-S-K-Y on Twitter. Uh he writes for Cubs Den. He's going to be doing a lot of recaps of games this year. They're always good. Um, we talk about a lot of stuff in this podcast. Try to cover everything involving the Cubs. Of course, we've heard a lot of the offseason stuff, so I try to steer away more of the offseason stuff, but it kind of bleeds in there. Um, we're going to start with Randall, and uh, it's a pretty good conversation. Here's Randall. Welcome back to the podcast randall always good to have you on
2: thank you for having
1: me again uh okay so we've had as i've discussed on this this podcast this offseason uh i don't know what you, would you describe it as the offseason from hell
2: is that a good way to describe it i think offseason from hell might be a little hyperbolic but it was a a very bad offseason on a number of levels for the cubs
1: so anyway we've finally gotten to opening day this week it's the texas rangers So I guess this is simple with all the negativity that's flowed around the team this off season from, you know, the Picada projections to all the off field issues and the lack of spending on free agents. I just thought I'd ask you what's your overall feeling about this team heading into the season?
2: My overall feeling about this team heading into the season is uh, what I want to call off season induced negativity in that it's been such a, a down off season for this team and this organization that it's become become a lot harder to remember some of the positives about this team. And it's very easy to forget that they still have three or four at least all-star caliber players on this team and that all these players need to do really is performed to their career averages. And this team will probably still be very good. And it's very easy to forget that across an off season where the team cries poor and does not sign any impact free agents, despite several vile candidates having been out there. Um, And when they, they handle other matters on and off the field, uh, not as well as they could have. So I, I think in an off season when there's no games being played, it's very easy to forget the talent you already have on the roster. Um, and it's a lot easier for the negativity to become, to, to find its way to the forefront and be the most prominent thing when we think about this team.
1: And another thing to think about too, is just, I mean, the last time I had you on my podcast was right before the Rockies wild card game when the Cubs were just, in this month long, I don't know I don't want to call it tailspin, but just like a massive hitting slump and they just really went out of the season on a sour
2: note. And it kind of that kind of also I think has soured people heading into this season. It it definitely has. You know, your your last game prior to the off season does a great job of coloring that off season and to lose one to nothing at home in the wild card play-in game is a pretty bad way to go into the off season. And that does a lot to color how you feel about the team going forward too, because that's your most recent memory of them on the field.
1: So I guess we'll kind of dive into just the, uh, the the um, bull, uh, the rotation was announced today for those who don't know, it's Lester's first, then Darbish. Then I believe uh, Hendricks, Hamels, and Quintana is your number five starter, quote-unquote. Of course, these labels kind of fade away pretty quick, but uh, to have Quintana as your last starter listed,
2: that's actually a pretty good rotation. On paper, that's an excellent rotation. Uh, you have a good balance of left-handers and right-handers. You don't have a whole lot of uh, overpowering velocity, in that, uh, in that rotation, Darvish is probably the, throwest, the, the hardest thrower at this point, but you've got a lot of experience. You've got uh, a lot of pitching intelligence. You've got a lot of ability in that rotation. And if you have four of those five guys who perform – To their career norms, it's going to be a very steady rotation, and of course, you have big questions question marks like how effective can Lester continue being as he starts as he continues to age. You have the same question mark about Hamill's. You have questions about Quintana's uh, consistency. You have questions about. Darvish sting, healthy. Hendricks is probably going to end up being pretty steady, as he typically is. But it is a rotation that, for all its ability on paper, there are some question marks. And you hope they can help this team come out of the gate strong and maybe quiet some of those those questions and those doubts in the first month or month and a half of the season.
1: You know, you talk about Lester, too. I mean, if there's one guy I'm not that worried about having a bad spring training, it'd be Lester, because he just doesn't seem like— unless there's something at stake, he doesn't really seem to care that much and kind of, but should we be at all worried about that? He got lit up pretty good this spring training or
2: it shouldn't be that big a deal or in, in and of itself. I'm not concerned. Lester's a guy who has been through a lot of spring trainings in his career. And at this point I have to imagine that he's probably just about getting what he feels are the innings he needs and kind of making sure his pitches are where he wants them as far as bringing them along. I don't think he's too worried about the final line score after each spring training start. As long as he feels good and as long as he feels good, and as long as he feels like he's ready to start the season, he's been through this long enough that I trust him. So you Darvish has,
1: he had the blister of course recently so that everyone got scared for a minute, but he's been throwing very hard in spring training and saying he feels good. It would really help this team if he
2: could, an effective pitcher this year but should we be a little worried or i, I mean I, I always worry about pitchers just because the human arm is not meant to pitch and i feel like the the handful of pitchers who have never experienced a shoulder issue or an elbow issue or a bicep issue are more the exception than the norm the human arm is just not meant to throw the baseball the way that pitchers do the the, the elbow is not meant to be stressed The way that breaking pitches stress the elbow, the shoulder is not meant to do that. And it just amazes me that so many of these guys are able to to continue doing so year in and year out. So I'm always worried about pitchers, even when they're out there going just fine. Um, But with that said, Darvish, uh, he's clearly a a different guy this year than he was last year. And that can happen quite a bit um, when a guy... When a guy comes to a team on a big free agent contract, it happened to Lester uh, a little differently. Um, he, he didn't miss all of his first season with the Cubs with injury, but he was ineffective at times. And then the season after that, he was fine. And we all know what happened after that. So it it really would not surprise me just from having watched baseball for so many years. If you Darvish comes out of the gate, very strong this year, and he pitches more like the guy, the Cubs thought they were getting when they signed him last year, the guy who has a career of high, high level pitching under his belt. So I'm always worried about pitchers and their health. But it has been a very good spring to see Darvish throwing, Darvish healthy, and just Darvish enjoying himself. Because it was very clear last year, there were times when he was just not enjoying himself. And part of that was probably injury, and part of that was probably a a lot of pressure to live up to the contract he signed, which these guys, uh, they're all perfectionists. They all put that pressure on themselves. And it's just good to see him a little lighter, seemingly, a little less of a load on his shoulders this year. And hopefully hopefully that translates to his pitching.
1: Yeah, that would be good to see if we could see that from him. So now we have to talk about what I, just the mess that is the bullpen right now. And I don't know what to make of it or I mean it still hasn't been finalized that
2: Alan Webster or whatever is the, the bubble guy in here. It seems like Webster Alan Webster, uh, Kyle Ryan and everyone's favorite uh, goat, Randy Rosario are the three bubble guys. And it seems like the final arm will probably come from one of those three. The bullpen is probably my biggest concern on this roster as it stands. But the thing about bullpens is that they are fickle and they are volatile and they can change week, month to month, even week to week. And guys who are getting lit up One week can lock it down the next and guys who are your bullpen aces in the first half can tail off in the second half. So I'm concerned about this bullpen because there are a lot of question marks, but the volatility of a major league bullpen, uh, leads to the point where it wouldn't surprise me if this bullpen were a, a major Achilles heel for this team, just getting lit up day in and day out. But it also wouldn't surprise me if some of these guys come out and surprise us and the bullpen ends up being more of a strength or at least less of a weakness than we fear it will be right now.
1: Yeah, and of course, you know, you're in the division with the Milwaukee Brewers and their great bullpen last year, but um, I did a little preview for, for Cubs Den of the Brewers coming into this year. I did all the NL central teams and their bullpen looks amazingly. I can't believe I'm saying this actually looks kind of shaky going in this year with um, injuries to Kimbrell and Jeffress.
2: Uh, And not, uh, again, not just to go back to the point I just made bullpens are volatile and the Brewers, who had the grudgingly success, quote-unquote, they did last season. They did so on the back of the guys at the back end of their bullpen. And they're starting this season with two of those individuals hurt. Jeremy Jeffress is injured, and Corey Knabel could be out for goodness knows how long because a partial UCL tear in the elbow is not the sort of injury that lends itself to a speedy recovery and the guy coming off the DL a week or two weeks into the season, like that can be a very serious injury. Um, so like I said, bullpens are volatile and especially season to season guys and groups of guys within a bullpen who were a season saving strength. One year can end up injured or ineffective the next year and the tables turn completely. Uh, so you never, you certainly never want to wish injury on any other team's players, but I will say it, it evens the, uh, it evens the playing field a little bit. And the Cubs are dealing with injuries too. You have Brandon Morrow who probably won't pitch, uh, for the, for the Cubs until at least May. And you have other guys who have been dealing with, uh, issues, Brad Brock coming off his bout with mononucleosis, his velocity is down though. He says it's, uh, he says it's normal for him. Uh, so it all just goes back to my point that bullpens are volatile. And what looks like maybe a strength on paper can end up being a weakness and vice versa. And it's one of those things where you just kind of have to let the season start, even if you don't quite have the personnel you want in place. And you have to let guys and roles kind of shake themselves out.
1: It's funny, too, when you think about spring training, it's like these things that stats that don't really matter at all. But they're all we've got, and we just like cling to them because you got nothing else. And then the regular season will start, and within a day or two, we'll never think about those spring training stats ever again.
2: Absolutely. It's just an amazing thing. Absolutely. Those spring training statistics, those batting lines, those pitching lines, they matter right up until a guy's first appearance uh, in the major league season when uh, that that's kind of all the, the, the broadcasts have to show for a guy. It's either last season's numbers or this spring's numbers, and then he gets a couple of at-bats or an inning or two under his belt, and nobody ever thinks about it again. No, Nobody says this guy had a hot spring or this guy had a cold spring beyond maybe the first or second inning of the second or third game of the season. It goes by the wayside so quickly. Yeah, and,
1: of course, speaking of hot and cold springs, I guess we have to – Talk about Ian Happ, who was sent to Iowa at the start of the season. They announced it uh, last um, this Saturday. Um, it's kind of like a stunning fall from him, but it's you know young players. You know sometimes they need time to get back. So what do you think of the
2: move? Uh, it, it it did surprise me. I was taken aback when I read the news to say to see that Ian Happ was going to start the season at AAA Iowa. I was not expecting that. I figured that between his versatility and between his potential with the bat, if not necessarily his continued ability, because he has, he did have a difficult last season and he was having a, a poor spring, but I figured that they would simply let him work it out at the major league level. And I was very surprised to read that they were demoting him to Iowa to start the season. Um, But that is something that we've been very spoiled on as Cubs fans in that you have a guy like Bryant who came up and stayed up and never once gave the Cubs any reason to remotely consider demoting him back to Iowa. Um, But development isn't linear. And we've been spoiled with prospects coming up and having immediate success. We were spoiled with that with Ian Happ in 2017 when he had a, a very productive rookie year. That sometimes we forget that these guys have only are they're only three or four years out of being drafted, and very often guys that clo- that far away that close to having been drafted are often still at double A AA or triple A. Um, and have never seen the majors so development isn't linear and we often forget that and the hope is that Ian Happ can go to Iowa and work on making more contact and hopefully he can do that and he'll be back in Chicago before he knows it yep that's
1: that's the goal anyway and I mean look at speaking of we're gonna I'm gonna transition to the lineup coming into this year but I mean Kyle Schwarber also went down the
2: A for a while so it's not unprecedented it's not unprecedented at all, at all and again we do often forget that development isn't linear and some of the some of the best players in the game some of the best players in history didn't necessarily come up and stay up they went back and forth a time or two before staying up permanently and going out to carve out a very productive career so hopefully that can be the case for Ian Happ
1: so now what do you think of the lineup i mean bryant being healthy got to be a good sign But
2: what about the lineup in general? Bryant being healthy will be probably the biggest boost to this lineup. Um, Not having him last year was a huge, uh, a huge negative for the team because he's a guy who gets on base. He hits for power. He's an excellent base runner. He can create runs scoring from second on a sharp single scoring from first on a double into the gap. And you can tell they missed his bats a lot last season. Even when he was in the lineup, he wasn't really the Chris Bryant we've been accustomed to getting him back and hopefully healthy and staying that way will be a huge boost. Um, a close second will be Wilson Contreras because the offense that served them so well in 2016 and 2017 was built in part upon Wilson Contreras being your everyday catcher and being a very productive hitter and getting him back hopefully to his 2016 2017 levels of productivity that'll be a big boost to the lineup too so it would have been really nice if they could have opened up the uh, the pocketbook and gone out and gotten another consistent hitter but they didn't do that for reasons that may never quite be known to us, aside from claiming they don't have any money left. And so we just have to hope that guys who have a history of producing will be able to go back to doing that this season.
1: Yeah. And So how do you feel about this? You know, the lack of an
2: experienced backup catcher that they're going with Victor Caratini. Do you feel good about it? or I, I, th- I don't really, I don't really worry about Caratini's lack of experience. Um, I worry about his lack of productivity uh, and I worry about to a certain degree, his lack of defense. He isn't necessarily a great framer. He doesn't necessarily have a great arm and that would be fine if he were this gifted offensive prospect, which he has shown at Iowa, but he's never really done that at the major league level in an increasingly telling sample size. Um, And you want your backup catcher to be, good at at least one of those things. If he can't be this lockdown framer, cannon armed backup, you want him to at least be able to hit. And Caratini hasn't really done either of those things. So he's a perfectly able, warm body to go out there and hopefully start uh, two or three games a week to keep Wilson Contreras fresh, but he needs to produce because you can't have a, uh, a, a defensive uh, gap in the lineup with, caratini in there and you can't have him be a complete black hole on offense and at the very least had they gotten one of a short list of veteran backup catchers they probably would have at least been able to bring the framing and the defense that caratini currently lacks
1: yeah and um, another thing that's interesting is obviously with this hat move you think almore would get the lion share of the starts now in center field and you mean he's one of those guys like a lorenzo Kane. For the Brewers that, you know, he doesn't walk very much, but he's a good hitter. But will he be a good enough hitter to to be, like, if you want to hit him lead off or something like that? Because he's going to be all contact. It's not going to be much.
2: Almora's, um, Al-Mora's skill set that we've seen from him has never particularly led him or led him to being a particularly great leadoff hitter just because his ability to get on base is so predicated upon his ability to hit. He's never going to walk much. So whatever that on-base percentage ends up being, it's going to be very batting average heavy. And if you can get on base at a, a, a 350, a 360 clip by mostly by hitting, that's great. Your on-base percentage is what it is. But Almora has not over full seasons hit to the, to the degree he needs to to, to get on base, uh, as much as you'd like your lead off hitter to. So every spring, it seems like we hear like he's made, he's made adjustments. He's made swing adjustments. He's being more selective and it has yet to bear out. So I think Almora is a, a very capable and very talented player, but I do not presently think he has the skill set that would lend itself well to being the lead off hitter. And it's a new season uh, starting over. Everybody starts at, uh, Uh, A zero batting average, a zero on-base percentage, a zero slugging, and all that. And maybe he has made those changes, and I hope he has. But we have never seen anything from Albert or Amora that would suggest that he would make a particularly good leadoff hitter. Yeah, so... um how about Kyle Schwarber? What are you feeling about him? Kyle, um, he says he made some changes in the offseason too, went back to hitting out of more of a crouch. Um, he, he didn't say he made any real changes to his uh, his physique as he did uh, an offseason ago. Um, but Kyle Schwarber is another guy where we – we, we tend to fixate on certain numbers. We say he's not homering enough uh, while ignoring the fact that he's st- still walking. Uh, we say he's not hitting enough while ignoring the fact that he's still getting on base very well. Schwarber, and he was the victim of some positively atrocious umpiring last season. It seems like every other day he'd have a plate appearance where he was up 3-0, and then it would be just an Awful automatic called strike for the three one. He'd foul off the three two, and then he'd ground out or strike out uh, on the three two to end the at bat. So maybe that'll reset, and the umpires can do a little better job with him this year. Yeah, but he he still had a, a fairly productive twenty eighteen season, and if he can do that, and then improve upon it, and uh, maybe work on going the other way so as to beat the shift, or maybe work on turning some of those line drives into the shift into line drive over the line drives, over the shifting third baseman's head into right field, he can have uh, the kind of season that this lineup needs him to have. And if he could be a, a productive uh, left-handed power and on-base bat, that would, go another, that would go another long distance towards getting this lineup uh, to productivity and to victories.
1: Yep. Another trend we've noticed, um, I've noticed this spring, is that they're going back to hitting the pitcher eighth to have that, you know, double leadoff man.
2: What, do you feel good about that? Or are you just like the last time it, I felt like it? You know, I, I go back and forth on it. It feels like every time I see the pitcher hitting eighth and I go, why is Joe doing this again? It, a situation comes up where either the pitcher manages to do something productive in that eighth spot or the number nine hitter manages to get on base and prove the worth of hitting your pitcher eighth. And then it seems like, uh, every time the pitcher hits ninth, uh, it it goes, it it alternates between going poorly and occasionally succeeding. So I, I certainly don't have the numbers in front of me, but it feels like if you parsed out the sample size between the pitcher hitting eighth and the pitcher hitting ninth, it probably wouldn't come out to being too terribly different over the course of a full season. So I would just as soon tell Joe stop messing around and just bat the pitcher ninth. But in the end, I'm not sure it matters all that much.
1: Yeah. the one thing I will say about um, having position player
2: ninth, I like the idea of um, Jason Hayward hitting them with his on right. base skills. Right, that's that's Joe's, and that's Joe's thinking is that you turn your number nine hitter into kind of a second leadoff man. And that's always the, the conventional thinking behind batting your pitcher eighth. And, you know, if you have a guy down there in the number nine spot who can get on base for your, your, your leadoff hitter and your number two hitter, that's great. Uh, and again, it all comes down to having the guys in your lineup produce the guys in your lineup can make you look very smart as a manager. And the guys in your lineup can hang you out to dry as a manager.
1: Yeah, and just to be clear, I support Jason Hayward. I have not given up on him. Uh, no, no. Imagine giving up on Jason Hayward. Yes, and there would be certain people that might attack either one of us if we did give
2: up on him. So. Yeah, we, we know better. We know we know so much better.
1: Yeah, all right. Um, so I'll kind of close on this uh, final. Who are you scared of in the division, the Brewers, Cardinals? Which team worries you the most coming into this year?
2: Look, I'm, I'm far too dumb to admit to being scared of anyone else in this division. I simply won't allow myself to do that. Um, but if I, I were a little smarter, and I did allow myself to do that, um, I might say the Reds, who made some very interesting moves uh, this offseason. They brought in uh, everyone's favorite wild horse, Yasiel Puig. Uh they brought in, or they already had, of course, Joey Votto, whom everyone knows what kind of hitter he is. Um, and that team's problem in recent years has always been starting pitching. Uh, they've always had the bats. They've always had a ballpark that will uh, bring out the best in those bats. And if they can get consistent starting pitching this season, they could potentially be a team that manages to cause trouble for the rest of the division. That ballpark always going to make pitching a little more difficult. It's not quite Coors, but um, the, the hot muggy days in Cincinnati in the middle of the summer, it can be very difficult to pitch there. So I think if the Reds are able to get some consistent starting pitching out of that roster, they could be even more of a handful than they've proven themselves in past recent seasons.
1: Yeah. And they, they were a thorn in the Cubs' side last year too, that they you know, they were quite they boring. If you look, if you look back on it and think about it, that might
2: have been the difference between them winning the division was if they played better against them. Absolutely. There were any number of games against the Reds where the Cubs simply played down to the competition. Not, that, not, they were game, not to, to take anything away from those Reds hitters, but there were absolutely games where the Cubs uh, handed the game away late via relief pitching or simply couldn't score in in key situations. And absolutely, we know the Cubs lost the division by a single game, and you don't necessarily want to single out any of those games against the Reds last season that the Cubs could have, should have won. Um, but any one of those games, if the Cubs had managed to pull one of those out, the division would have gone very differently last year. The one good thing is that, thank
1: God, Billy Hamilton is gone. He went to the Royals, and the Cubs do not have to
2: – Worry about facing him anymore. I wish him all the best in Kansas city and had, uh, had he needed, I would have driven to Cincinnati to drive him to the airport myself. And I would have given him some money for uh, a snack and maybe a drink on the plane. I wish him all the best in Kansas city in the other league where he can't hurt the Cubs anymore. Yes. uh, To be honest with
1: you, this is all my fault because here in my uh, hometown, The Reds have a minor league team here, and I was a fan of a young man named Billy Hamilton that was playing second base for the Billings Mustangs here in 2010, and I thought, well, I really like this guy, and classic mistake by me, ends
2: up on the Reds killing the Cubs all the time. Well, it's very smart of you not to make this public until after Billy Hamilton is gone. It's always better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So the the, the statute of limitations on blaming you for this has probably expired. So that's very smart on your part. Yes. You can't say I'm not dumb. I'm dumb in this
1: area anyway. You can say I'm dumb in a lot of areas, but not on this one. The silence
2: says it all. (laughs) Um, Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, remaining so better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open one's mouth and remove all doubt. All right. So I
1: guess I'll, we'll go out on this one. I don't want like, like an overall like prediction, like what the record is or anything, but how are we going to feel about the Cubs at the end of the year? Are we going to feel
2: good or bad? I I like to hope we're going to feel good. I think we're going to feel like the Cubs came through a very difficult season um, where they had to contend with seemingly comers on all sides uh, from St. Louis, from Milwaukee, from Cincinnati, and always from Pittsburgh because they managed to they managed to be annoying no matter what that roster looks like. I like to think, though, that we're going to say, look, the Cubs had some roster issues to start the season, but ultimately a lot of guys with a history of production uh, produced, and they did so enough that the Cubs end up ended up winning the division by a couple of games. I like to think that's where we'll be in early October. Well, I hope you're right. I I certainly hope I'm right, too, because I think the alternative will lead to potentially big changes for this team, uh, for this roster, and probably for the dugout as well. Yep, I would think you're right.
1: Well, as always, thank you for coming on, and we'll see how these predictions turn out
2: in a few months. Thank you for having me, as always, and hopefully the Cubs will make me look very smart in about six months' time. Yes, let's hope so.
1: Now we move to Mike, and here he is. Okay, uh, Michael, welcome back to
0: Holy Cow. Always good to have you on. Well, thank you. It's uh, nice to be back. Uh, nice to be thinking about real baseball here in a matter of days. Yes, enough with this horrible offseason we've all had to deal with and finally get to some baseball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not like we've had a lot to, to enjoy. We, we didn't get many cookies this year. So I guess –
1: You know, we ended last season, I don't know how how else to describe it, Uh, just bad, a slump, horrible play down the stretch. that They dropped out of this division. Like, you know, the mathematics going into the last month of the year, you had to feel very good about the Cubs winning the division unless they started just playing horribly and the Brewers played great. And sure enough, that exact scenario went down and the Cubs ended up bowing out very early in the playoffs. If you consider
0: the wild card, the playoffs, it's a whole separate debate. But um. I mean, I mean, the the, the streak continues. Um, I mean, so you know, if this is just a blip and the, and they're back to to competing at a high level again, then I think uh, we we view this year, that last year a lot differently. Uh, if, if things continue to go south, um, you know, if if the Dakota projections turn out to be to be accurate then it's hard not to look at it like a failure and, and to put it um, on, you know, the scale of collapses like 2004. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what other way to do other way to describe it. I mean, it's hard to 95 wins. I mean, that's a, that's a high number. <laughs> we haven't seen many 95 win seasons um, as Cubs fans, but um, the bar has been raised at this point. So.
1: Yeah. And it was one of those debates, of course, like, this offseason was yeah it's like people were acting like this was a horrible team but they won 95 games but then other people were like yeah but that was not what their potential was and there was this the, the 95 games thing almost like became the start of arguments on Twitter someone would just say they won 95 games and a huge fight would break out
0: well yeah because I mean it, it, what does that exactly mean I mean um, you know they, they won 95 games last year um, and they got a lot of things that, that went really positively for them. They also had a lot of things that, that didn't go so positive for them. They enter this year after doing nothing or virtually nothing this past offseason uh, with a team that's got a, a high amount of variance. Um, you know, if this rotation pitches the way it's capable of, like every one of those five guys has pitched you know, at, you know, a one or, or number two starting level, you know, within recent memory, you know, you, you're talking about a potential staff that could carry you to another, you know, upper nineties win, you know, season, but, you know, you're going to have to, you know, admit that there's at least, you know, questions about just about every one of those guys, except maybe the guy who signed an extension today and Kyle Hendricks, um, but you know, any one of those other four guys, I don't know how you can confidently sit there and say that you know you know for certain that you're going to get that that top level production again. And so, if the if the year, I mean, if you don't get that level um, this year, could get ugly. And since they didn't do anything, they they didn't give themselves any sort of protection. They ended last season talking about an offense that was broken, and. And we're, we're getting basically the same group minus, uh, Ian Hap to start the year. So,
1: yeah, it's, it is. It's one of those where if everything goes right, you have a great team, but if anything goes wrong, the margin for error is not as
0: wide as it was, say, even like two or three years ago. Right. Right. But also I, I mean, all right. So I, I think there's kind of two, two discussions about this past off season that, that are disturbing. Um, You know, there's one, it's the obvious implications for 2019 where, you know, your baseball team is not as good as it could have been if the team had been willing to spend more money. You know, that's certainly an issue. But I think there's also kind of this other aspect that has to be dealt with where this offseason was historic, was talked about for multiple years because of... Bryce Harper, and Manny Machado. And this really does represent the first time since Theo Epstein has been here that this team has sat out on two mid-20-something difference makers. You know, even at the depth of the rebuild, you know, the Cubs were, what, the second-highest bidder for Hugh Darvish in, in 2012. They were the second-highest bidder for Yonas Cespedes in that same offseason. So, I mean, just the fact that you know that they had reached their limit uh, of Tom Ricketts and, or the Ricketts family money, I should say, uh, was kind of concerning um, and kind of causes a shift in. Okay, you know, the Cubs truly aren't going to be ever the Yankees or the Dodgers. I mean, they'll get close, but you know, they're they're not going to be spending at the level to cover up any mistakes really in a tough spot here with with very little to play with in terms of prospects to move. Apparently they don't have a lot in the way um, in terms of, of of salary that they can take um, in terms of this year. So it, it's a, it's a precarious spot this team's in. But then again, like we keep you know coming back to, I mean there is talent on this team when you've got a court built around you know Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo. And you know, if Javier Baez is the Javier Baez of last year, uh, Wilson Contreras is more the Wilson Contreras of two years ago. I mean, you've got uh, the makings of a pretty special offense too. I'm just going to dive into some of the stuff with the season. I talked to um,
1: Randall Sanders, who I'm sure everyone on Twitter knows Randall. We covered some of the uh, issues with some of the players and stuff on the Cubs. So, I'll kind of steer it to the ones I missed in that interview. So. Sure. And we'll start off with the guy, the man of the hour, Kyle Hendricks. Signed a five-year extension today, but
0: for the but kind of production he's given, this is a very good deal for the Cubs. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, I, I don't know how you can't feel like this is a win for the Cubs, that they get to buy out, uh, you know, what is it, one was it one or is it two years of free agency that they completely buy out with or with the vesting option? I'm trying to remember how it exactly goes. I think I it, think it
1: was one. I think
0: they, they paid seven
1: hundred seven million this
0: year, and then it goes into effect oh, after that. Into, okay, so yeah, so it is. It's one year of free agency that they get, and then if the option vests, they get two years at, at a very reasonable sixteen million. I mean, I suppose the one thing you can maybe throw out um, besides the the concern that you have with anyone who makes a living, you know, hurling um, a baseball, is the fact that yeah, Kyle Hendricks doesn't have a lot of velocity, and so very small amounts of decline could be you know disastrous. But you know, we've been talking about you know Kyle Hendricks' velocity not being enough since you know he was in the minor leagues, and I was a doubter for. A long time uh, but at this point i don't know how you can't sit there and enjoy the fact that you've got a guy who's pitched at maybe top 10 level in the in the national league now wrapped up for uh you know 55 million over five years i mean that that's a that's a pretty team-friendly deal
1: yeah and of course it might be a symptom of what we've seen this offseason and now the rash of uh contract extensions that seem to be happening where it's almost like players are scared to go into free agency. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I certainly would feel worried, I guess, if I was in, in Kyle Hendricks, this camp, um, watching what's happened at Dallas Keuchel, um, this off season. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't be, be anxious to heading into free agency. Maybe like I would have been prior to that. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe there is also some truth to the theory that teams are offering maybe slightly more than they were previously. Um, and, and that's why you see this increase in, in, in extensions um, as, as sort of a, a preemptive move to potential labor trouble. Um, you know, you, you, you pacify... A few guys by you know giving them a bit more money now, a bit more security. So, um, but on the flip side, that also might make players a little bit more willing to um, endure some labor pain if they do have that that contract security and have made have been able to bank a little bit of money ahead of ahead of the strike, potential strike or labor stoppage in the near future that we all seem to think is going to happen. So, of course, I
1: say just for you. I say I'm talking about Jose Quintana to this this half of the season preview because I know you're a fan
0: oh I, I'm a huge fan I I, I would, I'm a, a staunch defender of the, of the trade even though uh, you know it clearly hasn't worked out well for the Cubs um, as Eloy Jimenez is is very likely to um, start <laughs> terrorizing the American League Central here um, but you know it, pitchers are funny and I I don't know. I I don't feel confident in telling you that, that he's figured something out this year, but all I'm going to say is, is, you know, he has done it and he's done it for an extended period of time. He's not, you know, uh, the stuff is still there. You know, he, he's at an age where you don't expect a, a, a huge decline. So, um, To say it'd be surprising that we would get the the Jose Quintana that we've been waiting for, Um, I don't think that's I don't think that's fair. But um, you know, counting, (laughs) I don't know how you how you're counting on him um, to be much more than than a guy who can eat 180 innings, you know, 200 innings for you. Thankfully, the Cubs are in a position where where they they need that you know at the bottom of the rotation and not the top.
1: Yeah and one thing I will say is that I looked at his numbers um from last season and he finished very strong. He had a very good last month of the year. So I don't know if that will translate but I, I kind of have a good feeling about him. No, my good feelings in the past have burned
0: me, but yeah, I kind the, of feel good about him. Well, yeah, I mean unfortunately the the problem is is you know since this uh this slump the, the break in, you know Jose Quintana being the most consistent starter uh, in the American league for, I think what, four or five seasons in a row. Um, The year he got dealt, he struggled very early on. And then he of course had, um, you know, a string of good starts with the Cubs and some not so good starts. Um, You know, he's shown those flashes of being that guy. um, But it hasn't been able, you know, it hasn't been a full year yet on the North side. And and that's what we're waiting for. Um, If it happens, and if, you know, Cole Hammels uh, is still Cole keeping Hamels, uh, and you know, John Lester and Kyle Hendricks, I mean, you've got something pretty special.
1: You know, I, I found a funny stat cause I wrote, um, for uh, Cubs, Dan, I wrote a little preview for the Brewers and, um, yeah. the Brewers staff ace this year is, uh, Jolish Chassin. Yeah. And, uh, he produced a two war right. two last season. Cole Hamels produced a 2.5 war just in his time on the Cubs.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that that shows just how dominant he was. I mean, he really was pitching at that that eighth level we saw in Philadelphia. Um, I'm not sure that you can exactly count on that in 2019. It would be really nice, though, if the Cubs could.
1: So I guess we'll move on now to the um, Cubs bullpen, which is – been an area of much concerned this this It was very good to see um, Pedro Strop pitch last night and look very good. I mean, he
0: made Mookie Betts look silly, and that is it's not good. easy to do. No, I mean that that's a huge that's a huge relief there. Um, entering the season with both uh, Pedro Strop and Brandon Morrow on the disabled list would have been. It would have been pretty catastrophic. Um, that said, uh, you know bullpens are funny, and you can get production, um, you know, out of out of nowhere. So even though I do think there are concerns here, you know, there's also the possibility that you've got you know a guy or two down there. I mean, um, you know, we're all waiting for you know Dakota Meeks you know, to really emerge on the scene here or, or Dylan Maples to, to find some semblance of control. And you've got, you know, that a sea of, you know, minor league veterans, uh, you know, to draw upon and, you know, one or two guys start clicking and, and a bullpen can fall together pretty quickly. I mean, we've seen that um, during this run with 2015 when, the, when the bullpen was a real weakness and, you you know, they they managed a couple waiver pickups, a couple guys. You know, slotted into a few places, and all of a sudden, you had an effective bullpen to get you into the postseason. That said, you know, we're talking about a team who supposedly, you know, goal is supposed to be winning the World Series, and we're talking about you know having to hope for guys to 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 work out while an a lead closer sits out there. Um, waiting for a team to to pay for him to to pitch for them. So, you know, on the one hand, I'm I'm not terribly worried about it, and I guess I can kind of understand not spending on on Craig Kimbrel. Uh, on the other hand, it is kind of silly that we're talking about this um, and f- trying to figure out where where these very valuable arms um, are, are going to be throwing this year.
1: Yeah, it's it's. I mean, we're recording this Tuesday night, two days before the season. And Craig Kimbrell is just out there.
0: No rumors that he's imminently signing a deal or anything. Any team can have a a top five, top three closer in the game. Maybe best closer. I don't know. You can make, I think, an argument. You know, (laughs) he's he's waiting for some team to be willing to pay for him. After last offseason, when relievers were the only guys who managed to get deals. It's one of those things, too, that's... um,
1: with the with this, you know they've had these budgetary restrictions, but with this one, it's hard to tell because with the bullpen, because Theo Epstein and you know has never believed in spending big on bullpens. I mean, even the closers he's gotten have been via trade. He's never given long term deals to any closer.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, if I recall, Keith Folk received a a fairly sizable deal at the well. Time. Yes, I mean, it's time on the Cubs. No, Keith. uh, Well, yeah, with the Cubs, yeah. Uh, I mean, but part of that has just been kind of the the situation. I mean, um, you know, they, you know, there wasn't a need for a closer in you know the first four years um, here, and then once you know they did get to that point, you know, they were in the position to make those trades to get closers. You know, picking up Chapman at the deadline, and then. Uh, Wade Davis before the season began. So I I don't know as if, you know, Theo is really adverse to spending in the bullpen in general. I mean, they've, they've, they've been pretty willing to, to invest in it um, throughout their time here. Uh, I just think that, you know, truly they are at the, the limit that uh, the Ricketts family has set. I mean, we can talk about, uh, we can have a conversation about, about whether that, you know whether that limit is is really the limit or not, but um, you know at the end of the day that is what the Ricketts family has set, and and I'm guessing that's the reason why uh, you know Daniel Descalzo was your big free agent ad. Yeah, the unbelievable bat that is Daniel Descalzo. But- Who's again? I mean, I mean, this, this is uh, you know, just the way the offseason could be described in general for I think a lot of teams. You know, Daniel Descalzos is a fine player. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, I mean, I think it was a, a another great deal for the Cubs. Um, you know, it, it brings the team a true backup shortstop, uh, something they haven't had very often. Um, you know, he does, you know, he had a strong season and, and maybe there is something there where he's found something to be a little bit more valuable with the bat. And, you know, was a strong clubhouse presence as uh, presence. So, I mean, you know, it's a fine ad. It's just, you know, it w- it was, it would be fine if it was a move with something else. The fact that it was the only move is the problem. Um, you know, that's the other one thing I'll say about Kimbrel is I just, the
1: Brewers, I mean, the Brewers, your whole team is built on the bullpen. One of your top three relievers is likely out for the year, certainly very, you know, torn or semi-torn UCL. You got Jeffries, has got shoulder pain. He's out until at least May. Your bullpen is, or your rotation is very young. The Brewers need Kimbrel so bad for their strategy to lean on the bullpen to work.
0: And I don't know why they haven't already signed him. You know, I, I don't know either. But I mean last year I, I felt kind of the same way where, you know, they had made the, those the big moves. You know, they get they sign Lorenzo Kane, they get Christian Yelich and it's like, well, all right, great. This they they've protected their, their lineup from slumping from the year before. You know, but who's gonna throw for them? I mean, and you know, you figure like, Oh, you know, are they actually gonna go make the move for Jake Arietta? And they of course, you know, sat that out. And we know how the season turned out, you know. So Um, on the one hand, yeah, it would seem like an obvious fit. I mean, um, the Brewers, you know, any team that is contending could use Craig Kimbrell, but the Brewers certainly could use him more than a lot of the other teams. And it just, yeah, if they, you know, that if they would just be willing to go a little bit further, it would seem like they could greatly increase their chances of going back to the playoffs and going farther in them.
1: Yeah, so we'll move on enough about the Brewers because we'll move on to the Cubs which everyone really wants to hear about in here Um, so Javi Baez had an incredible year last year I mean MVP runner up if Kristen Yelich doesn't go insane the final month of the year maybe he even wins the MVP but a lot of people are worried about regression with Javi because you know he doesn't walk a lot so he you know, high contact guy. He relies on contact, so a lot of strikeouts. Are, should you are you worried about a regression or?
0: You know, it would be hard to say. You know, I'm not. I mean, um, it's uh, you know, it really is something that what he did last year is was pretty unique, was pretty uh, special. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, you know, not just the, the production, which was, you know, at a high level on top of all the, you know, other things that he brings to the table, but the the combination of low walks and high strikeouts with that level of production um, is extremely rare. I think that's why you see some people being concerned that, you know, he's not going to be able to, to duplicate this just because not many players have ever been able to sustain production at these levels uh, I'm trying to pull this up here, but my, my computer's going slow I have to get the exact numbers here uh, but yeah, the game, his game seems like a game that is going to be high variance um, just because of the fact that it is um you know he's not going to draw a lot of walks. That's never going to be a, a huge part of his game, uh, and you know the swing and miss is going to be a huge part of the game as well. I, he has got enough speed. He's got um, he does enough other things well, and of course the just the sheer bat speed. Um, you know, for now, I think you've you've got a player that's at least going to is going to at least be a productive member of your team. Um, I, I don't know if I feel confident in, in guaranteeing that he's going to be producing at that superstar level again for next year. But I, I certainly think that he's got another year or two of that in him.
1: Yeah. And you know, sometimes you get a guy like a, I'm trying to think of a good example. Vladimir Guerrero jumps to mind, but a guy that's just never going to walk up but just murders
0: baseballs. And maybe that cool. will be hobby. Right. I mean, um, you know, the problem is, is again, it's just that there, there are so few guys that have the, the extremes that that Javier Baez has in terms, again, of, of of high strikeout, low walk. I mean, like, again, you mentioned Vlad, but, I mean, he, he's, his extreme contact ability meant that he struck out I'll, considerably less than than Javi does. Um, again, I just, you know, it's not really a term uh, in terms of, of the skill set or or you know the production, I guess. But uh, you know, Matthew Trueblood wrote a piece all a long time ago about Javier Baez, you know, comparing his development to say Sammy Sosa, um, and and suggesting that Javier Baez might be a player that that blooms late, And that might still be the case despite the the you know even last year, uh, because again, it could just be sort of up and down. Um I guess a player that jumps to mind in that way would be um, Adrian Beltre, who in his twenties, you know, had a couple monster years, got a huge contract. I think at age twenty-six from the Mariners was kind of a disappointment there, but then at age thirty, you know, developed into like one of the most consistent players for a decade. Yeah, and something like that, where where hobbies kind of has you know those huge years and maybe slumps a year or two. Um, in his 20s where then he kind of gets locked in for that extended period of time. Um, So you could see, I mean, again, I guess I wouldn't be shocked if if he takes a a dramatic step back. Um, You know, you almost expect a a small step back um, off of the production that he had last year Um, just because, again, it was such a a ridiculously good year.
1: Yeah, so, you know, now we were talking about, you know, is a high variance player. So we'll go to the exact opposite of that. Anthony Rizzo, who, I mean, if you look at his stats over the years, basically puts up the exact same numbers almost every year. I mean, it's kind of amazing
0: how consistent he is. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it, it, he's not exactly Chris Davis, but, uh, you know, he's pretty close. Um, uh, there's, you know, I've got some maybe concerns and maybe long-term, about how Anthony Rizzo is going to age. I'm not certain that he's going to, to age particularly gracefully, but, um, you know, it doesn't seem like there's any, any time that he's going to slow down anytime soon here. So, uh, you know, it is, again, it, it just, just assuming health, Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo are so good and so consistently good. When healthy, that that gives you a, a certain floor of production.
1: Guy that's been getting a lot of attention this spring, who you know burst on the scene last year, kind of faded at the end of the year, but is just destroying spring training. I mean, take that with a grain of salt that it's spring training, but uh, I'm getting kind of excited about David Bodie. Should I kind of temper that a little bit?
0: You know, I. Again, I guess it's, it's it's what what is your, your expectations here? I mean, um, you know, I, I I think you've got a big league you know ball player here. I mean, um, I, I'm not sure if he's really a guy that you want you know getting 500 plate appearances, you know, 600 plate appearances yet uh but it would certainly seem like the potential is there for that. Yeah, he's had a monster spring and and when he's hit the ball, he's hit the ball really really hard, um, which is a good thing. Uh, but some of the, the peripheral stuff is still kind of scary. you know when he was doing really well last year, there were a lot of clients that were saying, yeah, you know some of this is maybe a bit of a mirage And then you know he cooled off, which kind of, you know, makes you feel like, you know, you kind of saw what it was. Um, yeah, it was clear, too, that um, just watching the end of the year,
1: the high fastball was killing him. That was a pitch they figured out to go to against him, and they pounded him high, and he could not catch up to those high fastballs. So you're hoping that's a rookie thing, and he can start to adjust to that.
0: Right, right. I mean, uh, but it, it, I mean, it's, it's going to be that constant adjustment. I'm I'm— Fairly certain that, you know, he will be able to come up with some sort of adjustment to it that will force pitchers to correct. Um, I just, you know, again, it's the. Is he a guy that you uh, really are really wanting to be out there every day, or is he a guy you're happy to have because he's a guy who can fill in multiple places, you know, and, you know, fill in for guys? Um, you know, is playing, you know, Three to five times a week, as opposed to, uh, you know, five to seven. It's one of those things, too, that just like you get, you see, when
1: he just, when he does make contact and smokes the ball. I mean, he was second in exit velocity in all of baseball. It's one of those things that grabs you and you get, it's like, it mesmerizes you. But yeah, you got to think about what about the peripheral stuff? What about his block rate, his strikeout rate? If he can keep developing, you got to, with someone that hits the ball that hard, you got a great player. But you could also go down. The road of Ian Happ, who I think Ian Happ will be back. I'm pretty sure of that. But where sometimes you get eaten alive enough to go back down and, you know, change all you change your swing and stuff to get back up. And that could easily happen to
0: Bodie. Right, right. I think that that's the concern about, you know, if you he, thinking he's a guy that you can just, you know, throw out there every day as opposed to maybe a guy that you got to look for matchups that that favor him. Um, and he's more of a guy that that's giving rest, um, to your, your main eight starters.
1: I guess we already touched on happens up, so Albert Almora, who again is a guy much like a Baez, not the power, but where he relies heavily on the contact skills and I mean I went through this last year where I was debating people, I wrote an article about how they should probably be careful, you know, putting him against too many right handed pitchers especially high velocity righties but um this year it seems like he's gotten he's pretty much going to be the full-time starter in center field or get a that's the lion's share of the time so what do you feel about him getting that much playing time i mean the defense is probably worth usually having him out there but what do you think of his bat? Um,
0: you know he's a, he's an interesting player. Um, he's a guy who, if he hits his max potential, um, I think his bat is maybe something that the Cubs need because he is one of those guys who's got the extreme bat to ball skills. Um, you know where he's one of those bad ball hitters. Um, that you sort of seem to need. When you get into maybe the postseason um, to kind of break up the the guys who grind out at bats, um, but it still seems like right now he does get eaten alive. If you know if you were going to throw him out there every day, that you know tough right-handed right-hand, right-handed pitchers, um, you know that he's not going to produce a lot at the plate. And, yeah, his defense is is very good, but you've got kind of that same situation right now in right field with Jason Hayward. So how many of those guys can you really afford to carry if uh, their their bats don't come around? So at some point, you kind of have to see what you have in him, but I'm not particularly hopeful that you've got uh, a star player. If, If you can get... If he hits just enough to make his defense and all the other things he does well, the base running, um, you know, the leadership skills, that then I I think that's a win, and I'd be very happy. Okay,
1: so I'll touch on one last guy that so kind of I am going to say surprisingly made the team this year, uh, Mark Zagunis, who if anyone follows the minor league stuff like on Cubs Den, have heard about Mark Zagunis and his you know on base ability for a few years now, but you think he'll have any, will he stick around? Do you think he's just going to be up until Hap figures things out and we'll go back down? Or does he, can he be a, a guy that's a real contributor
0: all year? I, I, you know, honestly, I I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, he was a guy who, was interesting coming out of college to me. Um, I, I recall, you know, getting drafted, you know, him as a, a catcher outfielder. Um, they gave up on the catcher part pretty quick, and it really seemed like his bat never developed. Yes, he's always had the the this, the contact, uh, not the contact, the eye and the the on base percentage, but um, there just never was any power to go with that, especially you know from a corner outfield spot. If this is real, the the power that we're seeing, you know, if, I think it was starting the second half that he really turned it on, and then, uh, you know, this spring, I'm, mm-hmm. you've got a you've got a potential player. I mean, he is, you know, he would be the type of guy who maybe at the bottom of a lineup, you know, gives you a little bit of thump, um, and can fill in. But I don't know if that's real yet or not, and I I don't know. I don't know how much of a shot he's going to get to show that it's real either. Um, You know, it it does seem like at bats are going to be hard to find for, for people because um, you know, your, your infield is pretty full. And so, I mean, beyond that, uh, I guess it's going to be finding matchups for uh, inserting the units in there. So, um, oh, and what,
1: uh, I guess I forgot you, you reminded me with the, credit infield i guess we should talk about a ben zobris i mean last year was contract 38 years old he had a very good year last year i mean they used him i think they used him very well last year they gave him rest when he needed and stuff but um you think he will get a similar year is that maybe too much to ask for zobris
0: Maybe that's too much to ask, but, uh, you know, it would seem like he would be an ideal candidate to, to be, you know, your guy at the top of the lineup to get on base. Um, you know, that lineup that we saw, you know, last night, um, against the Red Sox, you know, to start the game would seem, you know, like a a potential, at least at the top of the lineup with, uh, what was it? It was Zobris, Bryant, Rizzo, um, bias. I mean that that seems kind of that that, that seems like a, a very likely top four um, to go with at the start of the year. Um, but yeah, you're going to have to be careful because you know it's probably you're probably getting 400 good plate appearances, not you know 550. So uh, that does open the door for some at bats, but you've, you've got a lot of guys that you're going to have to find playing time. You know, Victor Caratini. Is going to need at bats. You know, you're trying to develop Elmora. I, I just, like I said, it's going to be it's going to be quite the balancing act. Yeah, a little bit
1: of lineup juggling again. I guess that's what Joe Madden is known to do. So
0: yeah, yeah, anybody mean, can do it. I mean, to an extent, all teams do it. I mean, at this point in time, I mean, you, you, the. The the days of rolling, you know, eight guy, you know, eight nine guys out there, you know, 150 times. I mean, it's pretty much over. But yeah, I mean, this does seem to be the way that that Joe likes his roster. He does have a, a variety of different pieces that can be mixed and matched in a variety of ways. Um, you know, with his catchers having the extreme positional flexibility that they do. I'll ask my
1: final question. I don't I'm not gonna ask for like an exact record or anything as far as the prediction goes, but just you think the Cubs are gonna be in a good spot at the end of the year or a bad spot? What's your feeling about it?
0: Oh that's a, that's a rough one. Yeah, I don't <laughs> you know, um you know, right now, I guess with with the the gleam of the the season and hope right now, I I kind of feel like they'll be good. I I'm kind of, I am a believer in that pitching staff. Um, You know, I I really like those five pitchers (laughs) and if they pitch as well as they can, um, you don't need a lot from the rest of the team for it to be pretty good. And so if you get, you know the uh, a few positive breaks on the in the lineup. You know, on top of you know Chris Bryan and Anthony Rizzo doing their thing. You know, you could have a pretty special year. So I, right now, I feel pretty good. Um, but it, you know, a couple injuries and, and that 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 good feeling goes away pretty quick. Yeah, and you know
1: I've, something I've noticed because we used to do these uh, you know season predictions for Cubs. Dan, I don't. I don't even know what we're going to do in this year, but we usually do. And yeah. you and I usually are at the the low end of the prediction scale. We're usually the yeah. more negative people. Yeah. But this year, there's been so much negativity that it's almost making me think maybe they will be better than everyone is so down right now. I'm thinking like, you know, this is still a pretty good team. So I'm almost getting pushed the other way because everyone else is so down about stuff.
0: Yeah, no, I I understand that, 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 that feeling and that, that temptation, um, you know, the desire to be contrarian, um, you know, I, 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 I I generally don't, uh, like to make predictions because I'm very bad at it, um, but, uh. I guess, yeah, no, generally I, I like to go with um, low expectations and being pleasantly surprised. So maybe that's uh, why I always tended to go low in my predictions. But, yeah, I think this year just a, a few things, like, again, the pitching staff felt it seems like there's a number of positives there. And you know what? You know what? I'm even I'm even feeling kind of good about Tyler Chatwood in, in the bullpen role right now. Um You know, so I think, you know, I think there's a lot of things on the pitching staff that, that I honestly feel pretty good about. And so if again you get those five guys throwing the ball that the way that they can, um, that really does carry a team a long way. So like I said, I I feel good, um, right now. Um, but you know, those good feelings can go away pretty quick. Yep. And on on
1: that note, um, Thank you for coming on and always like to have you on. And of course everyone can read your recaps on Cubs den when the season gets going. So as always, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. If you'd like to contact me, you can send me a message on Twitter. I'm at STH 85. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Just look up for Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. And you should find it. Um, You can email the podcast. Holycowpod at gmail. Holycowpod at gmail. You want a question to get through? But you can tweet me too. That works just as well. And the season is here. Much like my guests. I don't want to give a prediction. I'll just... Like I said in there, I feel pretty good about the team. Now that could come back to haunt me. But as of right now, I feel pretty good about it. Anyway... Now that the season is upon us, we will have, I'll try to do podcasts relatively frequently as events merit, and let's get this season started.